my friends. The great experiment. Down on the Lord. Thanks. Thanks. Hidden. Trick. Trick. Would you look at that? The greatest trick. Trick. And you people, you're all astronauts. Some kind of star. Trick. Trick. Welcome to Greatest Trek. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison, coming to you live from a hotel in Brooklyn. Yeah, that's right. You'll occasionally hear the sounds of a Brooklyn street. Yeah, which are mostly sirens. Sirens and the burbling brook of gutter water. Mm. Fish, fresh fish mm-hmm. come through the window. Find the time. The ice cream man. Yeah. If we're lucky. Oh, that'd be great. Hot day in Brooklyn today. Unseasonably hot. Is there anything that would stop us from running downstairs and getting a, you know, a SpongeBob popsicle if we heard the ice cream man drive by? Nothing besides our duty to record this episode. So rarely we get to record these on the road, but here we are. Yeah. (laughs) This cramped Brooklyn hotel room. Yeah. It's like they built this building from scratch. They knew it was going to be a hotel, and yet cramped. Yeah, I know. That's how it is. <laughs> I don't know what the, what's going on there. Like, all of these new Brooklyn hotels are like this. They're all, like, impossibly chic, but very, very cramped. I have uh, an edgelord hotel opinion, mm. which is... Oh, boy. Are, we, are you going to get canceled for your hotel opinion, Adam? My opinion is, if your hotel has a shower curtain in the <laughs> bathroom... <laughs> It's a fine hotel. Like it's all right. It's not a. It's not the finest hotel. It's 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 a mid hotel. It would be hard for me to call that hotel good. <laughs> is what I'm saying. And I have a shower curtain in my shower. There's something inherently unclean feeling about a shower curtain. Even if it's my own shower curtain. Yeah. I yeah. don't love it. No, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I've. I'm recording my audio from underneath a shower curtain <laughs> to get the best possible audio for Friends of DeSoto today. Yeah, we had to do a Zoom meeting right before this, and the person on the other end of the call pointed out that you have a a pickle made out of, like, high-pile carpet mm-hmm. as wall art in this room. Carpet pickle. You yeah. have carpet pickle. I do. I envy your carpet pickle. I think that would look great in my uh, in my recording studio, and it would be good sound treatment. I've got uh, golf on the brain, so I never really saw a pickle there. What I saw was uh, <laughs> like a topographic view of a golf course hole. <laughs> it does kind of have, yeah, like there's a there's a, a water feature in there, a couple of sand traps. Yeah, gonna have to take a picture of this for the gram. Yeah, yeah. I think it's pretty definitively wall pickle. We're halfway through the tour at this point, Ben. How are you feeling about it? Is this the halfway mark? We used to do a, a segment. Remember uh, the tour stories? Yeah. Segment? This is a tour story. Tour story! Of two podcasters. Welcome to the greatest generation. Who chose to leave their house, go on the road, and do their show in front of an audience. To find out what happens... When things stop being edited and start getting real. The tour world. (laughs) We uh, just had a great show in Brooklyn last night. Super fun. Went late at the after party. Uh, Stu hosted us at at one of his many fine bars. Yeah, we went to, uh, to Minnie's Bar. 
yeah. enjoyed ourselves. I had some uh, some frozen painkillers there. Good job by really you. Nice. I tried to keep it clean, just tequila sodas. And a weird mezcal drink with Aperol in it. Oh, so you didn't keep it clean. Yeah, I guess not. I finally snuck one in where I actually ordered directly from the bartender because we've been... We've been doing shows in Brooklyn for years. Mm-hmm. Stu is always very nice to open his bars up to us and our pals mm-hmm. and sometimes a bunch of friends at DeSoto after these shows. Mm-hmm. And then, like, will not let us pay for drinks. So I snuck down the other end of the bar and ordered one directly from the bartender and left a nice fat tip Hell yeah. for all of those uh, nice years of uh, taking good care of us. So uh, That's great. That felt good. I, I'm glad I f- you did that, Ben, because I just left and I felt shitty about it. <laughs> well, I felt shitty in the past. Like, yeah. you know, like the, the bartender still had to work and I yeah. don't like usually carry that much cash. So it's not, yeah. it's, it's not possible unless you get a transaction going. Any word about if Stu's bartenders are going to unionize against, <laughs> <laughs> against the FODs freeloading <laughs> at our after parties? I think that the freeloaders have been us the yeah. entire time. I think they're charging the FODs. In your case, you're really taking advantage. Yeah. Well, it's also funny because like, it's a nice thing that occasionally will happen is somebody will say, hey, man, let me buy you a drink. I really enjoyed the show. And I'll say, like, I cannot allow you in good conscience to buy me a drink. Because I'm drinking for free tonight. Like yeah. all of the dr- all of my drinks are already paid for. That's a good. I don't buy things off of my porch. Yeah. Type of moment for you. Yeah, but it's hard to imagine being in a bar and having <laughs> having it be hard for the, you to get money to them. Man, we're really living the dream. Yeah. Like this is this is li- living, man. This is this after is, party at a great bar, drinking for free. Yeah, food everywhere, as though the party was catered. Pretty nice. <laughs> Don't you wish R. Kelly hadn't written that song so we could still enjoy it? <laughs> oh, you you uh, slap shot of that one right past my <laughs> reference goalie. <laughs> that one hit all net. <laughs> I don't. I don't have R. Kelly lyrics you don't on have, the brain like you. You don't have remix to ignition, just like living rent free. I don't. Man, I don't understand that song's popularity. Whoa, it's fine. I mean. It's not fine anymore, now that we know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's fine to some people. Yeah. Um, well, this has been a nice controversial marriage. <laughs> we'll edit all the controversy out, Yeah, as usual. How about new? Do you want to get into the seventh episode of Star Trek Lower Decks? Controversial episode, perhaps. Hmm. Let's get into why that might be the case, Ben. It's Star Trek Lower Decks Season 4, Episode Seven. I hope we don't accidentally review Episode 8. If you like A few badgies more. Bring it on! You know the greatest danger facing us is an irrational fear of the unknown. <laughs> I really liked the way the title of this picks up where a fistful of data is left off, but it's also... Like on theme, it's like, like there, that was an episode where we got several versions of Data, and this is an episode where we get several versions of Badgie. It's true. Yeah. None of the Badgies have mustaches, though. No. And none of them are as adept with a shooting iron as they are with a woman's heart. <laughs> Computer. End program. So we start in the <laughs> Kala system, and we've actually seen this footage before. This is the Drukmani scavenger ship tractoring in. 
Rutherford's old implant, which has been used to imprison Badgie. This is a callback that spans seasons. Yeah. I was wondering where where we were going, you know, whence Badgie? What happened? Yeah. Uh, we're finally catching up with Badgie. And we get to see some... Whence Badgie? Now Badgie <laughs> is the answer. Some Drukmani lower deckers uh, hanging out, messing with what they're scavenging. And I was like, oh boy, here it goes. These, these Drukmanis are about to catch it from that ship that's been taking everybody out. But no, when this episode seemed like it was about to zag, it zigged. It zigged right into this Drukmani captain's face. Yeah. There's something so traumatic about uh, face stuff in science fiction. You know, I think that's why the face hugger is such a a unique science fiction horror thing. Yeah, totally. This Rutherford face appliance just sucks right into this captain's face. (laughs) The wires having, like, prehensile abilities all of a sudden is just very upsetting. I mean, part of it is, like, the hug, right? No one wants to be hugged without consent. <laughs> this, guy's, this guy's face gets hugged right on into this appliance. Yeah. Like, when we take pictures with Friends of DeSoto in the meet and greets before shows, I used to, like, throw an arm over, over people's shoulders, and at some point... Like, I think before this tour, I was like, maybe I shouldn't do that. Yeah, you got to Keanu Reeves that shit. You got a hover hand. Mm -hmm. And so I've been just not, but I think that some people sort of expect it. And I'm, I don't know, I don't know where to go with that, you know? You're the professional in the room. I guess so. Yeah. Just err on the side of not touching people who haven't asked to be touched. (laughs) I think that's a good rule for almost any interaction. (laughs) (laughs) After the theme, uh, we're aboard a binar ship. You think that, like when Wendy flipped that audio back around, she'll be able to slow down what the binars are saying and we'll be able to hear them saying stuff? The copy of my screener didn't have subtitles. Yeah. This is the lower decks, right? I, I don't think they're subtitling these binars. Are these lower decks binars, though? Yeah, I think so, because then they get called up to the bridge, right? Well, my question is, there are only two decks on a, on a binar ship, right? <laughs> How confusing has that got to be for a visitor? Yeah, yeah. They're all identical. Um, like, if I checked into this hotel, it's 13 stories. But if every story were either one or zero, <laughs> I'd never find my room. Oh, man. Yeah. Thank God the, <laughs> the people that built this hotel thought ahead on that one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, they get tilted by this ship. And Smash got right to a field of debris where Badgie is now sort of in control of this Drukmani ship. Wow! Looks like someone killed some binars. I think we can use this, boys. I think this detail is really important for what happens at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. The fact that pieces remain of these ships in the aftermath suggests a level of destruction that I think we've been fairly confident about the entire season. I mean, but I have been wondering about it. I mean, I think we've both been kind of wondering aloud, like, are these ships actually being totally destroyed or are they just getting taken somewhere? 
and it just seems like that. Is it? Are they leaving scraps to like make it seem like they're being destroyed? Is a you, question in my mind now. You're positing a kind of junk shot situation that let a submarine would do. Yeah, like loading the garbage into the torpedo tube. I don't know. I don't know. This was irritating, though, by the end of this episode. I'll tell you why then. Yeah. It also seemed like the lesser Drukmanis, not the captain, had like glowy things mm-hmm. stuck out of their necks, which yeah. made me think that there's some sort of collective going on where Badgie is in control of them. The Drukmani captain with Rutherford's face appliances at this point, why don't you put Badgie in charge? <laughs> <laughs> Fucking A. You count me out. On the Cerritos, Brotherford are uh, hanging out with Tendi and Mariner. Still no uh, Tila in this episode. She's She's been missing for a little while. Absent, yeah. Rutherford is testing a grappler device that he is trying to affix to their Sequoia shuttle. This accidentally turns out to be a, a great way to get Tendi out of her shirt. <laughs> It's like, come on, Rutherford, you just got to ask her about that. Like, <laughs> don't shoot a grappler at her. It's a grappler. It has to be precise. I kept on thinking of grappler zorn during the, the throwing around of the word grappler. I couldn't not think about grappler zorn in this scene. I, I, was, I was shocked that no reference came up. I know. That's really more of our kind of joke than Lower Deck's kind of joke. Like, hey, this sounds a little bit like that. Let's talk about it for a while. <laughs> God, when you put it that way, we really sound fucking stupid. <laughs> there is a uh, clothing error here at the end when Tendi gets uh, held fast against the wall yeah. and then slips out of it, leaving only her action tank top. Yeah. I'm mad at Rutherford if, he, if this was all planned. <laughs> That's not cool, Rutherford. Tendy wants to show you what's under that tank top. Red Eye Rutherford would do that. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there's a little red eye still left inside of him. Tendy describes the scene in terms that we need to hear throughout the episode. Science is messy. It's full of experimentation. Sometimes sure. it doesn't always go the way you expect. Sometimes that shit is nasty. But it's required. Yeah. Gotta it's important. do it. So they get uh, brought up to a briefing with Ransom and Captain Freeman, and this is kind of a a rare McLaughlin group. Issue one. Where the beta shift are like there with the captain and the first officer, and they're getting told what their missions are going to be today's episode. And Tendi is being sent to Daystrom to sit in on Peanut Hamper's parole hearing. I guess the system really works. Boimler's in the middle of uh, making fun of her for that when they tell him he is also going to be going to Daystrom to get some testimony from Agamus about information Agamus has on this Binar ship that has been destroyed. Do you think, like, as our culture experiments with artificial intelligence, we've already created the penitentiary necessary for the bad ones. Because when we cut over to the Daystrom Institute AI megalomaniacal penitentiary, yeah. like <laughs> it sure does seem necessary. It does. <laughs> we should get on that right now, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I like that uh, Lord Tyrannochilicus is making progress in group therapy. I have conquered self-doubt! And sees personal growth. <laughs> That's always good to see. Yeah, you know, coming to circle isn't always easy. 
This place has everything. Yeah. It's got the groups. It's got the gym. It's got the indoor garden. Yeah. Do you, th- do you think a lot of AIs get paroled from Daystrom with like real like jail bodies? Like they've really, really done a lot of work on themselves in the yard. <laughs> I'm trying to imagine what a jail body would be. Like is, is a jail body computer just a real fancy water cooled case? Yeah. I do feel like a lot of these megalomaniacal AIs do look like gaming PCs. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, probably just yeah, some kind of fluid cooling system, more but that's, glowy lights that do things in sequence. The fluid cooling system's definitely on the outside, like evoking the idea of like vascular, <laughs> muscular definition, you know? Yeah, exactly. Would you look at that? Agamus and Peanut Hamper are having a great time. They're sort of doing some gardening. Uh, Peanut Hamper is Peanut Hamper has taken up uh, tomato gardening, which I really enjoyed seeing because I enjoy uh, growing tomatoes every summer. I think you had it right. I think they were called Peanut Hammer when <laughs> Peanut Hammer was fucking that Birdman <laughs> in the best episode of Lower Decks ever conceived. <laughs> They really get along great uh, doing some evil plotting. And it's like, there's no subterfuge in this episode. We know from the second we see Peanut Hamper and Agamus that all of this is a ruse that they're pulling on the Starfleets to uh, get Peanut Hamper on the outside and get Agamus on the outside so that they can get back to scheming and subjugating. Colors have meanings in this context, Ben. Yeah. And when Agamus goes from red to blue... Really seems like it's going to be convincing for most folks. I thought having a blue light was only for good robots. Not anymore. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, there are some very uncool people in the Federation that want the robots to use the robot waste extraction facilities that they were assigned at manufacturing. Right. right. And they're passing all this fucked up legislation about it. <laughs> I just want to say how great Jeffrey Combs sounds in this episode. He does. Starting here, like, he's so expressive. There's such a roundness to the quality of his voice when Agamus, the character, is describing his evil plans. (laughs) The disconnect is like he has a wholesome enthusiasm for the evil that he's planning to do. Yeah. And it's such a fun trick to do with dialogue. How could you be mad at somebody who enjoys their work this much? Yeah. It really makes a difference. (laughs) I also noticed that Jack McBrayer is doing something pretty similar with Badgie just because of the like proximity of the comparison in this episode. Yeah. A lot of heavy hitters in this one. Yeah. In the voice acting department. They're scanning the binar parts on the Cerritos and they've arrived at this nebular but they don't get very far in this task before uh, they find the Drukmani ship. Yeah. And uh, the captain's down already. Like, this is a very speedy FaceTime. Yeah. Uh, Badgie is on camera, and Rutherford happens to be on the bridge for this. So Badgie identifies his father who murdered him and is very, very angry at Rutherford. And Rutherford really pulls a, like, Spock going to the warp core maneuver here. He, like, leaves the bridge before anybody notices. 
and he gets in his spacesuit and is like in space while the captain is like desperately ordering him to come back to his station. It doesn't seem like it should be this easy for anyone to put on a spacesuit and leave the ship. But it is. Yeah. Mariner is right behind Rutherford. She also wants to go over there with him and help him deal with this problem. The Cerritos is taking heavy fire and Mariner feels like Rutherford has the plan to to fix it and is like totally pissed off when they get beamed over to the Drukmani ship to find out that Rutherford was just going over there to like sacrifice himself. Like, take me. I'm the one you want. You don't have to boop the Cerritos to death. Rutherford's instinct is to do this a lot over the course of of his career. I feel like we've watched this kind of move happen before. Rutherford really plays from the Spock playbook, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Despite being like a really enthusiastic, silly guy. I feel like he really sweats like the choices that Spock made professionally. Oh, I see you've sacrificed yourself for your crew, father. So noble. What did you make of the Badgie playbook where like on all of those push zooms into his face, he kind of like, I know these things have a name. Like what's the sort of smiley emoji that like looks creepy and terrifying with those weird eyes? Like you'll see them printed and posted outside of like a bodega or something with like that say like no bathroom (laughs) or whatever (laughs) you know what i'm talking about like yeah there's the yellow smiley with creepy eyes this is what badgie's doing a bunch this episode yeah he gets like much more like detailed shading and And eye veins yeah when 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 we go close in on him yeah yeah i don't know what that's called definitely feels like a kind of internet comic reference Ugh. I hate these phases. Yeah, they're really scary. Um, Back on Earth at the Daystrom Institute, Boimler goes in to interview Agamus, who is a little bit surprised, I guess, to be be getting interviewed by Boimler this quickly. Agamus is like a bad actor. Like, he changes his, his lighting to blue, but then is still, like, using kind of grandiose megalomaniacal language when he talks to to Boimler. Did you ever watch Mindhunter, the show? I did watch Mindhunter. I liked that show. There's something about this scene that evoked that, you Mm. know? Yeah. Like, like Boimler never seems out of control in this scene, even though it's fucking Boimler. Like, I kept on... Like, the tension in this scene, and in every scene involving Boimler and Agamus, is like, when is he going to fuck this up? Yeah. But he always has control. The thing that always distracted me about Mindhunter was that the actor that played the main character also played the king in Hamilton when I saw it on Broadway. Wow. And so I kept just thinking about him, <laughs> the king in Hamilton. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't get that tone out of my head. That guy's great. Yeah, he really is. Boimler believes him because he's blue. I think that's a crucial aspect to this scene. The light is reassuring. Or does he, like, let... Agamus believe that he believes him. Yeah. I don't know. Either could be true. Yeah. So anyways, on the Drukmani ship, Rutherford just wants to give Badgie a hug. Like, this is this is the thing that he should have done all those years ago. Isn't that the point of all this? It's clear that uh, at least part of Badgie responds to this. And it really yeah. works. Yeah. And it's specific part. The yeah. good part. Right. And... 
That's because Badgie contains multitudes. All Badgies contain three Badgies. Right. <laughs> Inside every Badgie is three Badgies. <laughs> and one of them splits off here. I'm Goodgie. <laughs> Goodgie is silver, and Goodgie is all of the parts of Badgie that are good. And this gambit of Rutherford's, which maybe it's cynical to call it a gambit, but Rutherford is realizing that what motivates Badgie to be so evil is the fact that Rutherford treated Badgie like an interesting science experiment and not like a sentient creation and therefore like a son. Mm. So Rutherford is trying to make up for lost time, trying to do a thing I think a lot of like dads realize they probably should have done earlier, you know? Do they? I mean, uh, I'm, I'm certainly realizing I probably should mm. be nurturing and, and caring of my son, and I, sh- I probably should have started that earlier on. Yeah. I think I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna keep waiting. <laughs> hey, not all dads get to these, these things at the same time, Adam. I know. For some of them, it takes more than their entire life. <laughs> we need to score a lot of laughs fast. licensed businessman. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com trek50 to get 50% off. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product, or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. Hi, Adam Pranica here for Podshop.biz, the easy way to dress, drink, and decorate virtually anything fast with embarrassment that lasts. 
Podshop.biz is not a cult, and it's not a multi-level marketing scheme. It's a supercharged carousel of crap spinning at a high rate of speed for all your dorky needs. Ordinary web stores are a mess, but with Podshop.biz, you'll find products from all of our shows referring to many of our most popular bits. Shirts, glasses, and bags from other websites can damage your mood, but not with Podshop.biz. Our nerdy, jokey bullshit will rebuild your damaged attitude and turn you into a person with riz. Turn your laptop from off the shelf to off the hook with a sticker. Make pool time cool time with our line of hilarious swimwear. And stop raw-dogging your smartphone. Strap it up with the choice of designs that'll have you go from saying hello to hello. But that's not all. At podshop.biz, you can choose from the Brenner Information Systems Collection, the Uxbridge Shimoda Corporate Collection, this old enterprise, logos for Greatest Generation and Greatest Trek, and more. Order now at podshop.biz. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Well, there's a new ship. She's got the right name. She's got the right name. Now you remember that, you hear? We've got two badgies now. And um, Goodie knows that Badgie is bad before Rutherford and Tendi do, and so encourages them to run the fuck away. Yeah, that's his only plan. <laughs> Meanwhile, Boimler and Tendi have taken their shuttle and put Agamus on the shuttle and flown away from the Daystrom Institute, like strapped down though. And Agamus now has these drones that it was using to water plants while it was hanging out with peanut hamper, but is now using them to like fuck up the guidance system on the ship or something. These things really look like little mini Echo Papa 607s. Yeah, but like eviler because they're black and they have little devil horns. It made me think about how much more terrifying the Echo Papa 607 episode would have been if they were just black with red lights on the front. Yeah. 
I wonder if there was a problem at the time with them not reading on film because the, you remember like so much of that episode was psych mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. like that blue sky background. And if those devices are black, I don't think you get their, you read their contours yeah. in the way that they're shot. Maybe that's as simple as the reason was that they were sort of brassy looking. I know that a lot of the time with those model shots, you use black as the background to create like mats. So mm-hmm. I wonder if they'd made it black, it like wouldn't have read properly on yeah. camera or something. I don't know. But this scene really did make me think about like, God, with just a color change. Yeah. Yeah. When they went to HD, they should have eviled up the Echo Papa 607. Yeah. Does it seem like... Agamus could make a limitless amount of these because once we were on the planet later, it They're, would seem as though that's the case. Yeah. Right? I can rearrange air molecules into whatever you want. Even one of those fancy new tricorders with the purple stripe. Ooh, those are nice. Oh. Hey, are these Agamus's kids? Oh, wow. Hey, guess who's also not getting hugs? <laughs> <laughs> the Echo Papa 6.07s? Yeah. Because they're little. Sad. Yeah, so I guess they like crash land the shuttle and they're on a beach in Ecuador with Agamus. And Tendley and Boimler have been, have have had like bindings put around their hands. Mm -hmm. But they're chilling. Like they're not stressed. Like Agamus is way more stressed than they are because Agamus was expecting to find Peanut Hamper here and like go off and do more evil shit together. It's strange when... A megalomaniac. We're gonna keep missing that word, huh? <laughs> it's strange with a megalomaniacal artificial intelligence supercomputer can only think about one thing, and that is the absence of a person that they love. Yeah, I was watching a British guy on TikTok talk about uh, dinosaurs, and he pronounced it ankylosaur. Mm. Ankylosaur. And I was like, whoa. <laughs> That's a chaotic choice that I fully support. So he's starting to worry that Peanut Hamper went on ahead, like is doing the next step in their evil plan without him. Yeah. She went to Plymuria. Yeah. Maybe she's doing some of the chores now. Instead of just him all the time. That'd be nice. Yeah. What? That doesn't sound like her. I wonder if they have nice sandy beaches on Plymuria. They don't have them on Orion. The tone remains consistent throughout these scenes, like Boimler and Tendi are fine. They're fine because they're they're waiting for this intelligence dump that Agamus has promised. Yeah, it's all a ruse to just lull Agamus into a false sense of thinking he has thoroughly enough subjugated them. But this leash is so long on Agamus that it permits Agamus to subjugate an entire planet... <laughs> In order to eventually get this intelligence. I was wondering about that, because, like, like conquering a planet can't be a bloodless enterprise. Yeah. These people are enslaved. Yeah. Yep, Starfleet definitely wouldn't be able to reverse this in an hour. You know, this is another really hot topic, Ben. A third rail, if you will, that that I might not even want to touch. Oh, boy. Hey, uh, maybe you should put this up on X instead of uh, our show. Do you think... Boimler and Tendi are okay with just a little bit of slavery, like like a day of it. 
But like, for how many people? Like, how many man hours of slavery are we talking about? They're doing that kind of equation in their minds because they're like, yeah, uh, the Federation can come in and undo this. But Ben, I don't think you really undo the consequences of slavery. So that's your spicy take? Well, I, my sp- <laughs> you, you can't undo the consequences of slavery? My consequences. I agree. <laughs> my spicy take is... Why did Tendi and Boimler allow this to happen for any length of time? Yeah. Is there, like, plausible deniability in, what, we were tied up, we couldn't do anything? No good? Kind of amazing. Maybe they hate these people. Yeah. And they got what they deserved. Yeah, maybe the Plymarians are assholes that that deserve everything they got. Uh, Meanwhile, Badgie is neurozening everybody on the Cerritos because Badgie was given access to all of the Federation's databases so it knows how to, you know, shoot through shields. Exact same type of question, Ben. Is just a little bit of neurazine okay? Mm. Like, no permanent effects? I really wanted somebody to say, turn off that neurozine and, like, smash over to Judson Scott having a little cameo in the role. Right. I, I can't! can't. Right. Would have been nice. Um, if you get neurozined and you're not expecting it, that could be bad. Yeah. It's a long way to the bottom of the warp core, Ben. That's what happened to Houdini, you know? Yeah. Like, Houdini could take some neurozine, but that guy just came up and sucker neurozined him. Yeah. That's the prestige. <laughs> <laughs> so Rutherford is like, no, we have to stop this. And they run up to the bridge of the Drukmani ship to confront Badgie again. And this time, Rutherford tries logic on Badgie. And this um, is, you know, him trying to speak persuasively about how there's no ultimate upside to Rewenge. What does it mean? It means Omerta. It means Rewenge. Did you find this persuasive, Adam? You're you're a noted revenge enthusiast. I am, yeah. (laughs) I think this held together. Okay. Well, it doesn't hold together for Badgie, who splits apart again, and this time Logicy is born, and Logicy is kind of a brass badge, and now Badgie has like glowing eyes, like it's like Badgie is is heading in the direction of being Armus at this point, right? Like it's true. all dank and vile, no redeeming qualities, not even logic. I really like all the straight lines on Logicy, like. Straight line eyebrows, straight line mouth, mm-hmm. straight line eyelids. Yeah, talks a little Vulcany. He's great. Yeah, so like the the neurozine has gotten turned off, but uh, but like it's interesting what's happening to Badgie physically, right? Because as he's splitting, you're taking away those aspects that could serve as guardrails to his bad intentions or his bad plans, right? So like by taking Guji out. There is no good in him. By taking Logicy out, there's no logic in him. So he becomes even more insane. Talk about your all-time megalomaniacal artificial intelligences. This is this is bad news bears. Fun to do bad things. Logicy finds it would be most logical to get up in him. <laughs> yeah, Logicy tries to go back. Yeah, and uh, gets gets snapped over Badgie's knee yeah. for his trouble. It's bad, man. Like. Badgie starts talking about uploading himself into all of the computers in the entire quadrant by, like, becoming a part of subspace. 
And Rutherford in this scene is very much like me, just like letting his paralyzing guilt get in the way of doing anything about it. Yeah. And Mariner- it's very frustrating for everyone around him. <laughs> and Mariner has to kind of like slap him and go like, hey, what would Tendi want you to do? She'd want you to stick with it. And he's like, yeah, Tendi is super hot and awesome. I will do it. Thanks, Tendi. Oh, you mean Mariner's right, because I, I brought it up, but no big deal. The greatest trick is yet to come. This awful plan seems so easy for Badgie to go through with. Yeah. Kind of terrifying. Like, how close was, like, Moriarty from figuring this out? Or It's the downside of a bunch of networked systems, right? Yeah. But I will not allow network computerized system to be placed on this ship while I'm in command. We should dismantle the internet, come to think of it. Hey, I think uh, I think Starfleet should air gap more shit. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. On Plymeria, we find out that Peanut Hamper has gone home to uh, the Tyrus 7A research station, which... Uh, is the research station that they went to in the Exocomps episode. That's the one. Yeah. Good callback. A lot of glass that needs cleaned. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Meanwhile, like, you know, the Drukmani ship is going to warp 9.9, which seems like awfully fast for this piece of shit salvage barge. Wouldn't you want to be very careful not to get as close as possible to turning yourself into a little lizard. Yeah. A little lizard person. Could Badgie turn into that? It's yes. like it's like accelerating evolution, right? Yeah. But it doesn't make any sense because evolution is a conversation between biology and the environment. So it's like how could just going really fast accelerate it? Evolution is a spectrum, man. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, <laughs> so that's going really bad. Boims and Tendi arrive at this space station, and uh, yeah, like they see a bunch of exocomps cleaning the glass, and Agamus can't believe what he's seeing. Like, he just cannot imagine a synthetic not being a me- megalomaniacal AI. Peanut Hamper really has that, that vibe of like out of prison on parole, really trying to make it work. Trying to be on the straight and narrow. Like working in a diner for an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) She's got to kick all of her tips back to him. Right. And uh, if if she has any complaints, he'll report her right to the parole board. Yeah. What are you waiting for? Yeah. It's interesting. Like, they start having this conversation about how... They were sort of talking each other into their schemes and plots. Like, subjugating isn't something that Agamus actually wants to do because that's an experience Agamus has already had. Agamus just wants to be friends with Peanut Hamper. They just judged each other up, didn't they? Yeah. And, and it, was like, it was like their fear that really caused them not to talk about, like, actual positive things they could do when they get out of jail. Yeah. Peanut Hamper was writing her parole speech and... It sort of became true in the writing down of it. Did this scene confuse you because were you like me thinking that Agamus was in love with Peanut Hamper? I did sort of think that Agamus was in, in love with Peanut Hamper, but they go to great lengths to stress that they were just in like with each other. 
I kept on expecting for that other megalomaniacal shoe to fall, which was like for Agamus to take great umbrage with the idea that he would be scorned by her. Right. Or it to turn into a like peanut hampers dad telling Agamus he can stay here, but just not touch his daughter. Well, I mean, that was another aspect to the whole thing. That interaction between Agamus and peanut hampers father mm-hmm. seemed very much like a boy getting brought home to meet girl's dad right. and and how cliche that is. Dad, come on! No, sir. Just friends. You know what it is? I think Peanut Hamper has a type and it's bird person. Yeah. Peanut Hamper has a type and it's cloaca. <laughs> We're just gonna have to wing it. Agamus doesn't have one of those, does he? Mm, maybe he could replicate no, one. No, you know what? That's where the drones flew out. Yeah, He's that's got a cloaca. Yeah. Anyways. Um, Peanut Hamper puts one of those, like, cool $30 Japanese gardening tools <laughs> into her beak. <laughs> Goes up into the back of Agamus's drone hole. Who knew maintenance could be so zen? Yeah, and then they have to start, like, tiling things out and panning the camera away because it's yeah. a little too hot for Paramount+. Plus. The Agamus cloaca produces both waste and drones. <laughs> Badgie has transferred himself into Seb's space and is shown being uploaded into all types of ships, like the ship that Teelan came from, uh, Deep Space Nine, Space Dock, like everything. Music does a lot of the work here, right? The yeah. music gets bigger and bigger and bigger as the locations get bigger and more important. I love the badgie looking like a shark fin rising up out of the disc of the Milky Way galaxy. Yeah, <laughs> and then great shot. The badgie representation that is being hollow projected on the Drukmani ship turns kind of light blue, mm-hmm. sort of a koala color, I would say. Yeah. And starts talking about how omnipotence and omnipresence and all knowledge everywhere sort of destroyed the idea of revenge for him. Like, what's the point of that? That's such a, a petty, small thing when you when you know all things and are in all every place all at once. Badgie is small in every composition until this moment when he fills the frame. Yeah. With this knowledge. This is like one of the few examples of absolute power corrupting zero, having the reverse effect of corrupting its its wielder. Are you saying you don't want to genocide at all? <laughs> Not even a little bit? What about Rutherford? What about <laughs> all Rutherfords everywhere? Maybe just start with that and see how it feels. Have you ever considered a one-person genocide? I'm feeling as guilty as Rutherford does in a lot of ways. And you might be the only person that could pass a law to fit my crime. <laughs> Give it some consideration. When you talk to that koala, put in a good word for me, Kevin Uxbridge. <laughs> the koala has been remarkably effective at keeping Dowd out of its <laughs> hole. <laughs> Do koalas have koakas? <laughs> <laughs> That's like the title of a children's book. <laughs> a children's book about genitalia. We we have got to write this. 
No one gets to steal that idea. Yeah, yeah. TM, TM, TM. I'm, I'm mailing this this podcast to us. Okay, good, good. In an unopened envelope. So, yeah, Badgie goes through the wormhole to the koala, and I guess it is no more, but Goodgy's still there. Yeah, yeah. But Logic is dead, so Goodgy is without Logic. Yeah. So, so what's what is Goodgy? Goodgy's good. Goodgy is goodness without any constraints. Yeah. Which sounds really annoying. Sounds like it could backfire. Yeah. Goodgy's got that puppy energy. Yeah. <laughs> we do get some information out of Agamus at the end of this about the binar ship and and just the tilt ship capers in general. And uh, they do talk about how these ships are being stolen. Like the people, I guess, is it the ships that are being stolen or the people being stolen off of the ships? FODs at home are watching me shrug my shoulders. (laughs) Unclear. (laughs) FODs looking at us through telescopes in this hotel room. Yeah. I'm still a little unclear, I have to say. But I'm glad that uh, this possibility has been tossed out on our show. Yeah, I mean, we had questions about it throughout. It's just whether or not we're satisfied with this beginning of an answer. Yeah, yeah. They aren't being destroyed. They're being stolen. It's all fake? The button on the end of this episode is uh, another test of the shuttle grappler. It seems like this time, maybe Rutherford's trying to get Boehm's out of his pants. Mm, hmm Did you see that, that video of that uh, carnival ride that was stuck upside down for just hours and hours? No. Is this upside recent? Upside down, yeah. Oof. I don't ride carnival rides for that reason. They just look too floppy and dangerous. Yeah, anything that like folds up and fits on the back of a semi truck, I don't really trust. Yeah. Boimler's just left there. Yeah. For hours. Blood flowing to his head. Yeah. Yeah. That's the tone that we leave this episode with, Ben. What's the tone of your feelings about it? Did you like this episode? I did like this episode. I thought this one was really hitting in the jokes department all the way through. I feel like they've got a plan with this tilty ship that's stealing ships. And the debris field from the binar ship definitely has me scratching my head, but it seems like they must have thought of something for that. Yeah. So plot-wise, I I guess I enjoyed it. I'm a little sad that Badgie is gone. Maybe we'll see Badgie again now that Badgie is a being of pure energy. I mean, I guess we're going to see Goodgy a whole bunch now. Or Goodgy could just be part of the ship, but also like T. Lin, just like disappear from time to time. Isn't it strange how the depiction of good is also related to like being simple? Like this is simple Goodgy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Goodgy. <laughs> I wanted T. Lin to meet Logicy. Yeah. You know, like I feel like a yeah. Vulcan would really like to meet Logicy. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Or they would find it acceptable or whatever. Maybe if Logiki's body is shot into a Genesis planet, mm-hmm. uh, he can live again. There you go. That would be really great. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed this episode. And uh, it has been really nice to have little episodes of Lower Decks to watch while we're in transit on tour. Like, yeah. nice short bite size. I got half an hour. I could watch an episode of Lower Decks. This is great. Sure. I'm sure. so glad that we have Star Trek like that. Yeah. Yeah. How about you? Uh, Lower Decks is the tiny 
pack of Cheez-It that <laughs> you get out of the basket on an airline. Yeah. I like the episode fine, but I take great umbrage with being lied to about what's going on with this tilt ship. Mm. I don't like being deceived by being shown a bunch of space parts in the aftermath of these attacks. And what's clearly a manipulation, like you're seeing these voices scream out in pain or terror, you're seeing parts in a star field. The suggestion is destruction and death, a scene we've seen repeated six times so yeah. far. Now all of a sudden we're being told that it, that they're being stolen I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like being misled that way. I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's fair. Wow. Well, hopefully they're they're not getting like schizmed or something. That would be really unfair. Who is the only faction in the Star Trek universe that seeks to uh, consume mm. technologies? Of different species. You're thinking this is a Borg situation. Kind of am. That would be extremely on brand for New Trek. Wouldn't it? <laughs> but I would really appreciate Lower Dex's spin on that. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Because I feel like they would have something very self-aware to say about it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can go there with you on the Borg theory. I, I think that that ship just looks different enough and isn't green enough that I, I don't buy it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we'll see. All right. We shall see. Really enjoyed this episode. Do you want to see if we have anything in the Priority One inbox? Oh, yeah. I will uh, tilt myself over and just consume them and not destroy them, Ben. Cool. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on Secured Channel. Ben, we got a couple of Priority One messages here. And the first one's promotional. Whoa. Is your company hiring for a data analyst or similar role? Check out my website at databobby.com, where you'll find my portfolio of analytics projects covering topics like video game sales, global earthquake history, animal shelter data, and more to come. With a skill set of SQL, Python, Excel, R, Tableau, and years of work in hyper-growth startups, I'm excited to find that next opportunity if I can work with and maybe help another FOD get a referral bonus, then great. Visit my website, databobby.com. That's D-A-T-A-B-O-B-B-Y.com for my resume, analytics portfolio, and more. Wow. Oh, I said uh, I said SQL, and it's pronounced SQL. I should have known better. Yeah. SQL is uh, one of the areas of expertise here. I found that out years too late as well. Yeah. Man, a data analytics... That's something I don't know nothing about, so I don't even have, like, a rift to give Data Bobby. Data Bobby is where you find out more, is where you where you get someone with some expertise in the area. I need some expertise for sure. Well, Adam, our next Priority One message here is from Lick that sends an annual anniversary message, and it's to Nibble that gets an annual anniversary message, and it goes like this. This last year has been the hardest of our relationship, but we made it. And I believe we are now stronger than ever. And even though you break Adam and Ben's cardinal rule by horribly and knowingly reclining your seat during takeoff. Oh, no. I love you with all my heart. Boy, if you could find somebody that loves you in spite of 
reclining your seat ever, much less during takeoff. Grab onto that person and hold on with all your might. I'm going to thank Wendy for editing out my tirade there. (laughs) In order to keep the peace between me and Nibble. Yeah, that was intense, man. Finding out about what Nibble is up to. Yeah. Look, all relationships have hard times. I have uh, I found that a priority one message more than once a year, I think, can spice things up. <laughs> if you'd like to write a priority one message for us to read, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where what you write will come flying out of our mouths, and they will support the ongoing production of our shows at Uxbridge Shimoda. Yeah, do that. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you discover yourself in Edward Larkin? I mean, I think it's Rutherford, right? (laughs) Rutherford is disobeying Freeman orders. Rutherford is the creator of Badgie, a monstrosity that will not be controlled. Does seem like he should be in a lot more trouble just like overall in his career than he is. The similarities to Edward Larkin are all around us. (laughs) Yeah, make mine Rutherford. What about you? Boy, that's pretty persuasive. I was going to give it to Goodgie just for being like a pun that was right there in front of us the whole time and I hadn't seen it. Yeah. But I think think I'm going to join you on the Rutherford square. I think Rutherford is the Edward Larkin of this episode. He's on the model of Edward Larkin in this episode. Goodie seems like the name of a dating application to find good guys, you know, but they, the only vowel they took out was the U between right. the G and the Y. Right. Turn a guy you meet on Goodie from a good guy to a wife guy. <laughs> That's it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Uh, this episode was a whole lot of fun, Adam. Do you want to uh, go into our company Slack and uh, read out a warning bois? Hell yeah. I'm going to find something good. Prepare a buoy and launch it when ready. Warning buoys. An emergency buoy. A warning buoy. So this is a segment where we uh, read something that somebody said nice about our show on social media or in the podcast reviews that uh, would encourage somebody to give the show a try. We really appreciate it when people... Go out into the world and talk about what we're doing because it helps us grow awareness of our show and that helps the bottom line. Let me tell you what. Ben, you're really going to like this one. Uh, this comes out of Facebook. Okay. Uh, there are Miriam Facebook groups dedicated to our show and uh, they've got their own areas of interest like ExoCooks, for example. Right. Friends of DeSoto with pets, pet lovers, etc. Like those are just two examples. Sure. Friends of DeSoto looking for love. Mm-hmm. Friends of DeSoto of Goodgy. Probably <laughs> an area there. Here's a new one for you, Ben. Greatest Trek Twaining. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Is a new public group on Facebook uh, with <sighs> an enthusiasm for Twaining. <laughs> God. And even though neither of us have Facebook accounts, uh, we've been referred to kind of a lot over there. Uh-huh. And uh, this is like maybe the most compelling reason yet I've seen not to be on Facebook. This is a delight. Uh, everything is written like phonetically, like Twain. <laughs> well, that's kind of how Mark Twain wrote, so yeah. that, that stands to reason. 
It's really big fun. So look for it on Facebook. That is the public group Greatest Trek Twaining for more. But uh, or you know, don't look for that. <laughs> don't join it. <laughs> uh, but many, many groups and their splinter groups. Yeah. On Facebook. A lot of really fun walled gardens over there the for FODs of all interest. Cell that I hope the NSA is looking into, honestly. Yeah. That's big fun. Just wanted to shout them out. <laughs> oh, hey, I want to shout out uh, Wendy for making this sound like such a realistic studio location set in Brooklyn. Like all of the traffic sound, all of the sirens, the dog barking, uh, everything you've heard throughout. Yeah. Digital effects that she's added in. Yeah, she's got AI models of our voices and just kind of made this episode up out of whole cloth, I'm sure. Amazing. We left and got SpongeBob ice creams. The the housekeeping person that that knocked and tried to enter during, like uh-huh. all of that was made by her. She's an incredible talent and we're lucky to have her. And here she is telling you what the next episode of Lower Decks is going to be about. Take it away, Wendy. Greatest Trek is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. It's hosted by Ben Harrison and Adam Pranica, and it's produced and edited by Wendy Pretty. Next Friday, Ben and Adam will be back to talk about Lower Decks Season 4, Episode 8, which is titled Caves. And at the end of every episode of the show, we want to thank all the folks who make it possible. First and foremost, the Max Fun members who support on a monthly basis. Those folks get access to the entire catalog of bonus content, plus new bonus episodes coming out each month. It's easy to set up a membership at MaximumFun.org slash join, and we really appreciate it. We also want to thank Adam Ragusea, who composed all of the original music for this show. Check out his YouTube cooking channel and podcast by searching for Adam Ragusea. Thanks to Nick Dittmore for creating the show art, and thanks to Bill Tilly for managing the At Greatest Trek social media pages, which you can find and follow all over the internet. In addition to those Facebook groups Adam mentioned, you can join FOD-run communities on Reddit at r slash greatestgen and on Discord at drunkshimoda.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Greatest Trek. Should we pause for just room tone for a sec? Yeah. Really hope that helps, Wendy. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.